Welcome to Journey South Bay. Thank you for inviting us in to listen to God's Word. Take a moment to get comfortable, sit back, and relax as we listen to today's message. This comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is God's word. We're moving through uh, this great sermon of Jesus. It's a masterpiece called the Sermon on the Mount. And what he's doing is uh, drawing out for us what he wants for our lives. That is, what, is uh, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it look like for somebody's life who follows Jesus? And uh, what we saw a couple weeks ago is, in fact, that as you're doing this, as you are, it's, it's our, our deeds that people will see as salt and light. Not, not even our words. It, it, it's the lives. It's the actions. It's the deeds that demonstrate what salt and light is. And, and as you analyze this and we follow Jesus in this, uh, a fair question comes out of it, and that's this. It, if it's a life that's different, that's demonstrated by love and uh, service and humility and, and these, this lifestyle, what in the world makes a Christian different from Gandhi? Uh, I mean, there's people that we know are, uh, are very, very good people, are, are, are fantastically loving, uh, do all sorts of wonderful things uh, for our communities, uh, for things that we're involved in, but would never acknowledge the name of Christ. Uh, how do we make sense of that? How does Jesus make sense of that? And the answer is that in these three verses, uh, Jesus gives a, a sort of secret approach that there's a distinct approach to the entire law that makes it uniquely Christian. And in these three verses, Jesus is going to say two things. He's going to show us the problem of the law and then the solution for it. So let's just look at those two things this morning, the problem of the law and the solution for it. First, the problem of the law. Now, everybody has a relationship uh, to God's law that's sort of easy to parse out uh, with this word that's in verse 20, the word righteousness. I mean, Jesus says, uh, your, your, your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. Now, what, what does he mean by this word righteousness? Righteousness just literally means to be right with. It, it's a legal term uh, that sort of has um, connotations of being innocent, uh, of being found not guilty, standing in a judicial court, uh, declared free from the penalty of the law. And as, as we look at the, the law and its problem, the, the connotation is that what, what can make you righteous? 
what can stand before that. And everybody has a relationship with this. There's a place in Romans 3 where the Apostle Paul says uh, has this. He says, now that we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Woody Allen just once famously said, all people know the same truth. Our lives just consist of how we choose to distort that truth. And there's really two distortions that we live with that even Jesus draws out in this text, and that's the irreligious distortion of God's law and the religious distortion of God's law. That is one that essentially sort of ignores the relationship altogether of God's law and one that believes that the law is the way to have a relationship with God. See, the irreligious side basically says this. If, if you're a good person, for the most part, uh, that's all that matters. That what God said in the Old Testament, sort of the, uh, the law given to us, it's, it's no longer important. It's no longer relevant. It no longer has any meaning for our lives of any, of any kind. If you're just basically a loving person, that's all that, that matters. And Jesus comes into that question and blows it up because he says in verse 17, I did not come to abolish the law. Now, why would Jesus say this? Well, two, two audiences here. On the one hand, one audience was watching Jesus have this interaction with uh, prostitutes and tax collectors and all sorts of people who were in no way keeping up with Israel's law. And he was having uh, this restorative relationship with them. He was offering them salvation. He was offering them life and relationship with himself. And all of these people are coming alongside him wondering, does he not care or think about the law anymore? Is he just here to uh, say everything in the Old Testament? It's all obsolete. And Jesus definitively says no. Now, the other audience of people like that are sitting here, maybe like a prostitute or tax collector, wondering why is this fair? Why is this rational and reasonable for, for Jesus to even say this to everybody and the Apostle Paul, uh, that every mouth is accountable to God's law? Look, if you've been a parent at all, surely you've experienced this. One of the conversations that can happen with your children where trust is clearly being uh, eroded is when they feel like you're treating one child different than the other. When, when they see uh, something that applied to them that is no longer being applied to the other child, and they always they, they say, you always treat this one different. And what they're sort of saying in, in that moment is, I'm losing trust in your character in your approach to running this household and what is fair and just in this life that I'm living around. And look, when Jesus speaks to say, I have not come to abolish the law, he's actually dipping way back into God's character to say, listen, God is not like that. He will not be a parent that sort of runs the world and approaches the world to say, well, I'll, I'll treat some of you this way and some of you this way. I'll have favoritism with this group of people, but, but not with this group of people. This group of people I'm holding all the way accountable to these things. But this group of people over here, it doesn't really apply. 
Jesus is coming right into that suspicion as well and saying, I have not come to abolish any of it. And you know, when that hits home with us, the problem of the law is really getting pressed because our immediate reaction to this is to find it burdensome. Look, some of you, and maybe some of your friends or somebody in your family, have really been tempted or have recently ditched Christianity. That has just thrown off the entire lifestyle. And it's not because you've lost a spiritual inclination or that you've suddenly become so secular you can't imagine any sort of spiritual connection or anything more powerful in this world to connect with. I'll tell you what's going on. The burden of the law has gotten so heavy, you've only had one reaction, and that's to feel like you have to run. Because if you have to live in a lot of that and hold that up, it's just too exhausting. I remember my, um, my freshman year of college, they used to stand on the college campus and, uh, and just hold up these cool t-shirts that they would want to give away for free if you would sign up for a credit card. And, I mean, how predatory was this? Um, I can't believe this was legal. <laughs> but they would just stand up there and just hold these t-shirts. And so I was, you know, 18. Sure, I'll sign up for this thing. And then you get a visa in the mail and you're like, well, this is amazing. <laughs> just order, you know, equipment and all sorts of stuff your parents would never let you buy. And then you get a bill and you're like, well, I don't even know how this works. But it just says minimum payment, $20. That sounds cool. <laughs> You go home for the summer and not realize, like, that they keep sending these out monthly, and I come back the next year, and the bill is, like, tripled, because nobody told me about this thing called interest. And I remember the bill was so expensive, I was like, my parents are going to kill me, and I don't have the money to pay this. And so, my temptation was not to go ask for help to try to figure it out, it was just to ignore it, to just want to take it and, and just rip it up and throw it away, and, and, and you know what, it doesn't go away. And the problem with the irreligious take on the law is that Jesus says it doesn't go away. It will not ever, ever, ever go away. And that makes us just want to run. And so the, the thought is, well, is the answer then to just take the law extremely seriously, to keep it all together? And to that answer, Jesus just says no. I mean, the religious person believes that the law is the uttermost importance in your life, and everything in your life must be built around it. But to that, Jesus says in verse 20, your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. Now, let me give you some context to sort of explain what he means here. The Pharisees, I mean, just were the religious all-pro people. They, they, they fasted twice a week. They tithed their garlic. Um, I mean, everything uh, that they owned was, was considered and thought around God's law. There's said to be uh, 248 commandments, 365 prohibitions in the Old Testament, and they had a practice to keep every single one of them. Everything in their life was revolved around God's law. Everything they did, everything they did in community, everything they did with their resources was revolving around that. And Jesus says, you must exceed that. Leo Tolstoy 
the great uh, 19th and 20th century author, uh, towards the end of his life, um, seemed to find Christianity or spirituality of some sort of, uh, some sort of discovery. And uh, he was uh, getting really fervent towards the end of his life and began to say that he wanted to live out the Sermon on the Mount. That he wanted to perfectly demonstrate this in his life. And what happened is it actually drove him insane. In one of his biographies, it's said of this, Tolstoy's attempt to live out the Sermon on the Mount alienated him from many of his friends, brought discord into his family life, strained his relations with his wife, and even left him spiritually alone. That what he discovered and what everybody discovered around him is that the pursuit of righteousness through the law actually probably leads to more self-righteousness and to burden you and everyone around you to the point that you want to exclude them and they want to exclude you. And, and he, here's the problem that we're being shown here in these few verses, is that running from the law is a world we don't want to live in because it leaves us a God who treats some people this way and some people this way without justice, without accountability, without anything concrete to know what is a human being and what we are designed to be. And running from the law is something that we'll never ever get away from. It's a problem, but running to the law is a problem. Because you have to run to a degree where even keeping up all the 613 commandments is not enough. And as you run to them, it may even just drive you crazy. It's a huge problem. So what do we do with it? Secondly, we have to just see the solution that Jesus gives us for the law. Look, what makes Christianity unique and distinct and beautiful is not that Christians keep the law, but hear this, how they keep the law. And you get this from seeing what Jesus did and what it means. Here's what he did. In verse 17, Jesus says this, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I mean, he's going to solve the entire problem of the law with his own mission. He says, I did not come to abolish it, I came to fulfill it. Now, this word fulfill is a Greek word that sort of has an image of a cup that is filled to the brim. And what Jesus says is that his life, what it will do is look at the demands of the entire law, look at the demands of the entire Old Testament and say, my life will fill to the brim all of its demands. As if the law is that prince from Cinderella with a shoe looking for anybody's foot who will, who will be able to fit the slipper. And Jesus says, mine will. Now think about what it looks like to fulfill a law. Like the, the law of you must pay your taxes. You can fulfill this in one of two ways. You can either pay your taxes, obey the law, or if you skip that, and you try to run away from that, you're going to get a penalty, which will either be interest on that that you have to pay, or even greater terms of prison and jail. 
And if you pay the interest, you pay the penalty, or you go to jail, you, you fulfill the law that way, or you fulfill it by obeying. And what Jesus is saying for us is that he is going to look at the irreligious heart that we have and the religious heart that we have and say that he will fulfill the law's demands for all of our problems. He will live a life that perfectly follows all of God's law. He will live a life that is perfectly loving. He will live a life that is perfectly humble. He will live a life that follows every single thing that God has designed and called for human beings. He will leave it and it exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. He will do it himself. And for all the problems that we have of finding ourselves under that burden and wanting to run and tear up the law, he will die for that. And here's how what you have to see from Jesus, if you're ever going to be able to take the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, is that he comes into everything the Sermon on the Mount says and says, I will be this and do this for you first. He says, I have come to be that loving person. I have come to be that generous person. I have come to be that praying person. I have come to be that person who was not anxious in the midst of trials. I have come to be that person who will not judge. I have come to be all of that. And for your inability to do that, I will die for you. That he has come to fill to the brim all of the law's demands. That's what he did. Now, what does that actually mean for us? Well, when when you get to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, some of you may have read this before, Jesus gives a couple pictures that are fascinating. He says there's two gates. There's a wide one, and then there's a narrow one. He says there's two foundations, one that's built firmly and one that's built on quicksand. And he says, choose. Now, for many, many years, I, I thought what Jesus was basically saying there is that the wide gate is the life without God, and the narrow gate is the life with God. And the, the foundation that we want is the life with God, but the foundation you know, that will fade away is if you build it on things in this world. But there's a famous verse at the end of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says this, you know, many on that day will say to me, Lord, Lord, it's my covenant name, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do ministry in your name, do all of these things, and Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. Now, here's what that means. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to show that throughout this, he's not showing that the two ways are life with God and life without God. Here's the two ways. The gospel-driven way of following the law and the pharisaical way of following the law. That is... You can go into the law. You can go into the whole Sermon on the Mount and try to keep it and try to do all of it and to never know God. You can be the most obedient, moral person and God can look at you and say, I never knew you. 
And it's because underneath it, there is a distinct approach that never understood, that never lived out of the idea that Jesus fulfilled the law for them. See, when he says your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees, you have to hear this. There was nothing external that could have been accused of the the Pharisees. There wasn't anything in their life that showed they were not law keepers. They had a testimony and a witness that everyone around them would have verified and, and, and held up in a court that says, yes, these people keep God's law. But beneath it, because they did not understand the grace of the gospel, every part of their law keeping was done out of an insecure heart. And it was built on pride, which is how they could be so exclusive, which is how they could hold other people to accountable things that they themselves were not accountable to. You know what it was like? It it, it was like it was like a half-inch screw on a drywall holding up a picture frame. Maybe for a second it could hold that up, but the moment anything nudged, there's no depth to it. What an insecure heart will do is it will think that everything relies on them. Don't you see this? That the heart that looks at the law and says, I cannot uphold this, and a heart that thinks it has to uphold this in order to get approval is trusting in the same thing. It's trusting in your own righteousness. It's trusting in your own good deeds. It's trusting in your own approach, which is why you cannot handle criticism or you want nothing to do with Christianity. See, if you can't handle criticism, you know why? It's because you are trusting in your own righteousness, and you're trusting in your own record. And the moment somebody points out something that's not the perfect standard that Jesus calls up, it's a threat to your, not just something that happens, but your whole salvation. And the heart that wants nothing to do with that is so afraid of that, they'd rather not try but they're both trusting in the exact same thing. But a heart that has seen what, how, how much Jesus can fulfill the law and what he's done, look, it, it trusts and goes towards the law not as something to get approval, but as someone who already has the approval of God. Because if you understand that Jesus fulfilled the law for you, and died for you in the places where you could not uphold that. What that means is that every part of the Sermon on the Mount for you is an opportunity to grow into somebody you long to be and not a burden to live up to. That Jesus changes your relationship to the law and he changes your relationship to the Sermon on the Mount, not so that you go into it so that God will love you more, but so you'll go into it and you'll be more free. John Newton has a great hymn lyric where he says, To see the law by Christ fulfilled, to hear his pardoning voice, it changes a slave into a child and duty into choice. Understanding the gospel 
before you go into the life God has called you to do is what Christianity is. Thinking you have to fulfill the law in order for God to accept you and love you is what pharisaical lostness is. And that's what Jesus is trying to go after this morning. Martin Luther, in his preface to uh, the Galatians, he says, look, the law absolutely has a place in the Christian life. It's got a place for us to understand what life is meant to be about, about who God is, about what life is meant to look like. But he says, the moment you go into this, the moment you go into the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, the moment you go into all of the things the Bible calls you to be, he says, what will happen is the voice of the law will start getting really loud and will start looking at you and saying, you better keep this up or God will not love you or other people will not accept you or you'll be excluded. And he says, the voice of the law will always be this loud whisper on a Christian's shoulder trying to remind them of what they are to live up to. And he says, look, the law has a place, but the, the judgment seat, the throne of your conscience must only be occupied by Jesus and what he's done for you. And he says, what you have to constantly do in the life that you're called to do is every time that you're going to be, look into the life that you're called to be, that you're going to think about what it means to love somebody. You're going to think about what it means to treasure Jesus and not things in this world. You're going to think about what it means to have an authentic prayer life and to be more devoted to things like that. You're going to think about what it means to not be anxious in this world. The moment you begin to do that, the voice of the law will start whispering guilt in your heart. And Luther says, get out the work of Jesus and put that in the conscience of your life. When I was in uh, college, uh, there was a a, a great golf tournament. So my friends and I used to go to every spring. And uh, it was hard ticket. So what we would do sometimes on Saturday afternoon is have a sign that just says, college student needs tickets. And almost every year, somebody would give us tickets. It was, it was incredible. And um, one year, this, I, I have no idea who this man is. This man named Mike just gave me his tickets for Sunday. And they weren't just a ticket. It was like a lantern badge that I didn't discover till later had like all the VIP behind the scenes access. So the next day I went to this golf tournament and I'm, you know, 20 years old. I, I, I'm dressed in like cutoff shorts, like a 1989 polo that's like faded, holes in it. I've got a hat on backwards. Like I do not look the part at all. But I walk into this golf tournament and start to realize like I got access to everything. I started walking behind gates, walking into tents, and every single time I walked in, somebody goes, whoa, 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 who let you in here? Who said you could come in here? And I would just pull out that badge and be like, you need to back off. (laughs) I walked into this one building, and Tiger Woods was like tying his shoes like right over there. And somebody comes up to me and says, like, show me your credentials. And I went, boom. And the person immediately changed their perspective on me. 
Can I get you something to eat? Would you like something to drink? Have you been over here? I in no way looked apart. I had nothing in me. I had no money. <laughs> I had no look. I had nothing about me except these credentials. And the moment somebody saw them, they went from who let you in here to what may I do for you? Look, the gospel doesn't just change your relationship to the law. It changes the law's relationship to you. Do you know that everything else that the law comes to you and says, who are you? You just get out the gospel and say, I am a child of God, purchased not through my righteous works, but through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And you hold that up every single time. And it changes a slave into a child and duty into choice. Look, that's the solution for the law, and that's what you have to have in order to go to the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Let me pray. Jesus, um, Lord, we want to live the life that you've called us to. But we, we go into it, Lord, with burdens. We go into it with fear. We go into it with everything but the gospel. I pray that those, Lord, who do not understand the gospel, you would help them through the power of your Holy Spirit to know that it is nothing in our hands we bring. It is simply to your cross that we cling. Lord, that we come to everything that you call us to be. We come but with Jesus. Lord, help that to set us free that we may pursue your law, we may love your law, we may become your law, that we may be salt and light in this world. In Jesus' name we do pray, amen. If you enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to the RSS podcast feed. This will let you know when a new message has been posted. You can also look for us on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram at Journey South Bay. Until next time, God bless.